Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 175, Weather. Today, taking another short break from Middlemarch, we'll be talking about Jenny Ophill's latest novel, Weather. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need, where Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality, Julia Pistel. Hey, guys. Hey! Hi. Hey. It's Episode 175 seems momentous. That seems it like does. a lot. <laughs> it seems like we should have we should have prepared for this moment in Actually some more it. profound way. We've got to cram in 25 more episodes and celebrate, you know, quick. Yeah, what will we do for 200? My God. Know, it's, it's kind of overwhelming to think about. It is overwhelming. My God. So... Now, like in the last month, I've I've begun to understand our world our worldwide reach that our 174 previous episodes have has given us. When the Spectator <laughs> from London put out an article, basically telling me I was a fucking asshole, bad fucking energy, man. <laughs> yeah, there is... I don't think that 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 was the. Te- I thought the article was actually really interesting. It was. It but was. It, it was it, the, the, it was the clickbait headline that was really frustrating. It's like, this episode of Literary Disco made me throw my computer against a wall. And then you listen to it, it's like, yeah, so by the end, by our second episode of Middlemarch, we liked Middlemarch just like you do. That's right. basically all the dude was writing. And it's like, <laughs> can you believe they came around to liking the same literature I do? It's like, yeah. I am that's what very, all about. very upset about something in that article, which is that I am not named, but I am referred to as someone reasonable and i am pissed <laughs> i am pissed that if you google me that will never come up those two thoughts you gotta be one of those people that just always wears the same t-shirt every day and your shirt just says someone reasonable i gotta just start introducing you that way and essayist and radio personality someone reasonable no and no you know what you really should do is reverse it and someone reasonable julia pastel julia pastel <laughs> So after the article <laughs> ran, I uh, I started following the the writer oh on God. Twitter, and he's a very amusing, interesting person, as you you know, as you would imagine. Damn Anyone it. who spends any time listening to our Middle March podcast and is pissed <laughs> off about it, like they're not that different from you and I. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, he must yeah. be like a huge Middle March fan, and that's yeah. why he he dipped into our podcast, but. Yeah, it's it was just funny to me, like the whole article sort of missed. Like, th- that is the point of our podcast is to like try and be like we don't. If we like, can you imagine if our podcast we set out to read the classics and prove why the classics are great? Like if if we were like we should all read Middlemarch because Middlemarch is perfect, and like we came in reading, it would be the most boring podcast ever. The whole point is that we don't know and we're trying to be as like objective as possible. Um, well, or as subjective true. as possible. I don't know. <laughs> We're, we don't know the difference between subjective or objective, but we know that we like Middlemarch now. Hmm. <laughs> Objectively. Yeah. I, yeah. So we, I told him, he was, I told him he was right, though, because he was. Like, you were right. You, you knew from the start. I had to be convinced. I think uh, people seem to, and I've, I received some messages of this kind, Seemed to be upset when I dropped the book on the table and called it 900 pages of turgid prose. Yeah. Well, People seem to react Because you're being a dick. Just, that was like, yeah, you were also only like 50 pages in and then had read an abridged or How listened dare to you. an abridged audio I, for like 
So, call the Sturgeon Pros when you haven't actually read it. Right. I mean, so granted, I, I was more like 20 pages in and then 100 pages into the abridged audio. Oh, my God. So, on this uh, note, we should fill in our listeners. Let's give them a general sense of what's going on timeline-wise with us. Right. Um, we recorded our previous couple episodes a long, long time ago, and now everything in the world paused, rightly. No one needs to hear Todd debate about Dorothea right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And now we're recording this. It's the end of June, and our next episode, if you're not caught up, you have to get caught up with us. We are going to read all three of the final books of Middlemarch in one go, which is the length of a regular very long book. So get going. <laughs> book six, seven, and eight are next. Don't be surprised. Yeah, still got, it's like three or 400 pages left, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. All right. It's a significant amount. But in the audiobook that's abridged on Spotify, it's about 12 minutes. Oh, God. So hop right onto there if you get bored in the middle. It's nice um, to see your character arc evolving, Todd, over 175 <laughs> episodes. Yeah. I w- we should, uh, well, we're not going to do this. I don't know why I'm going to suggest it, but I'm just going to say the sentence. We should listen to 175 of our episodes and see what we can find out about ourselves. Well, actually, what I was thinking about, I'm I'm a little bummed I didn't think about this until right before we started recording. I wanted to go back and listen to our episode on the other Department of Speculation, the other novel that oh, Jenny yeah. Othel, that we, I mean, that's, because uh, we're probably going to repeat ourselves a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Have a feeling we might say exactly the same thing. So uh, actually, maybe that's something to do after we record this episode is go back and listen and realize how uh, how much, like for me, I know I'm going to say the exact same thing. Well, I mean, uh, but this book is, and we'll we'll get to the timely. full book in just a second. It's time. Yeah. It's far more political than Department of Speculation. Yes. Um, yes. So it, it has that difference. And I should note uh, just for the listeners that... Um, some of you may already know my opinion of this because I reviewed it in a major American newspaper uh, when the book came out. But uh, there's stuff I didn't get to say because I only wrote 625 words in that review. So I'm excited to talk about uh, Weather by Jenny Ophel. Um So the other thing that we should just catch ourselves up on is um, it's the middle of summer. And typically around the middle of summer, writer does something that neither Julia nor I typically support, which is he goes off the grid. Normally, what that would mean is that Julie and I do a summer reading issue where we don't talk about Ryder because we don't know if he's coming back. Are you going off the grid this this summer, Ryder? I I am going off the grid. This <laughs> I am going into the woods. Uh, How yeah. far into the woods are you going? As deep as I can go. Uh, no, just car camp. I mean, not backpacking. Like I can't get into the back. I have a five year old man. I can't take him. He, he can't carry his own backpack yet, so... We read Tarzan. He can do anything. <laughs> I just don't want to deal with trying to convince him to walk two miles with, like, 20 pounds on his back. Oh, my God. Man up. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, we're just going to go to, yeah, the Sierras. I'm going to head into the hills, into the mountains. That sounds nice. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the parks are opening up. Some, you know, some of them are still closed. But there's also hip camps, which you can rent basically on people's property. Like it's Airbnb oh, for people's cool. property. And that seems like the perfect sort of COVID <coughs> safe way because you never even see another human being. Um, and uh, we we have our own toilet, our own bucket toilet <laughs> that we're taking with us. 
Yeah, we're not doing an RV. I don't, I don't believe in RVs. So uh, we're bringing. You believe in... they exist? You just don't want to use. Them. <laughs> yes, I, hate, I hate dealing with trailers and their conspiracy. And I hate the idea of like yeah. bringing a, bringing a TV or electricity into the woods is just. Didn't we read a book me. about fucked up people in RVs? What was that? Oh, uh, Doctor Sleep. That's right. Oh old, yeah. Creepy God. old people. <laughs> yeah, Jesus! I pulled that out of the old file cabinet. <laughs> Uh, episode 67 or something. Um, and how long are you going to be camping for with no access to, to media? I'll have access to media. Uh, a month. We're going to be gone for a month. Wow. Or, yeah, yeah. Four four weeks of, of camping. Well, it's just, you know, my both 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 my wife and I are, are <laughs> writing right now, so we do not need to be in L.A. Like, right. But the, the idea of being in a city right now, um, you know, we don't, neither of us have, have, even virtual jobs to show up to all we have to do is is be writing um so we can we, you know we both can be doing that with our computers and our notepads and out we can be out in the middle of a mountain lake and be catching trout and you know honestly like my my son is just limited to our house right now and yeah. i feel bad for him like a lot of parents and you know and it's like well since we both have this opportunity i might as well take him out into the woods and start start doing that yeah um, that's a cool idea yeah it would be nice to go uh, to a really nice hotel for a while. Yeah, Todd, <laughs> do you have a bucket to poop in that you guys keep around uh, for such purposes? Yeah, we, we call it Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> a place I haven't visited in four months. Um, you know, it's funny. We haven't really left town at all. I mean, there's no really. We haven't left town at all. Um, we're going to go to Los Angeles next weekend for um, my brother-in-law's birthday. Um, it'll be the first time we see anyone in our family or anyone really since March 1st. So last time we saw anyone in our family was my niece's um, engagement party, basically. And then basically like two weeks or a week later was the lockdown. Um, but... Uh, it would be great to, to go camping. Camping sounds wonderful if it wasn't like, you know, outside. Well, there's <laughs> I'm just looking forward to, I'm looking forward to just being in physical reality. Again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, because yes, we, 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 we're not having the social, we have these Zoom <laughs> things, but it's also like sitting at your desk all day or, you know, chasing after your five-year-old inside all day or like going somewhere with like a walk in a city yeah. where you're not even able to like talk to other people. I mean, like, I'm just craving the idea of like, you know jumping in a lake and then swimming for a while and then like laying on a rock and not having yeah, to worry about what that I'm is breathing nice. in or I don't know. I'm really excited. I, I mean, I'm lucky in that where we live, there's, you know, there's a, it's wide open spaces by my house. So yeah. during this time I've been, I've been able to go out, you know, a fair amount. It's too, it's too hot now, but um, that has been a lifesaver. So I get it. I mean, yeah. I know, I know walking up and down your street isn't like walking in the woods. So you'll, you'll, you're going to come back refreshed and happy there's a lot of work done. That'd be cool. And for those listening and- who are like, I can't go away for a month. I can't believe my take on this is I've been doing this every week. I'm more outdoorsy than I've ever been while still being in an apartment in a city. Like the other day I was like, that's a red red winged blackbird. And I was like, I can identify birds now. <laughs> Things have <laughs> really changed. Things have really changed. I got uh, some apps that are like plant ID apps and bird ID apps, and I'm just like absorbing it, and my daughter's absorbing it, and it's crazy how much. Yeah, I've been the same way. Yeah, so detailed. Like I'm, 
we've we've watched like we've watched hummingbirds hatch on our property we've like followed the life cycle of butterflies and like found dead it's like we're just so focused on our like little environment Mm -hmm. and it's that micro focus has been really great we'll be back from a short break from our sponsor this week's episode of literary disco is brought to you by hello fresh HelloFresh offers so many recipes to choose from each week to help you break out of your recipe rut. There's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly recipes every week. HelloFresh offers fresh, high-quality ingredients every week for a super flavorful experience. Over 90% of the ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure the freshest recipes are delivered to your door. HelloFresh offers contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just under 30 minutes. You can even save up to 28% by using HelloFresh versus your grocery store shopping trips. HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients mean there's less prep for you and less food waste. The packaging HelloFresh uses to ship your food is almost entirely made from recyclable and or already recycled content. HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than store-bought grocery-made meals. Keep your fridge stocked by adding extra proteins or sides like garlic bread to your weekly order. Easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need. Feeding the whole family has never been easier with larger box sizes for more servings and more savings. HelloFresh is committed to making fresh, delicious food available now more than ever and has taken extra steps to keep its employees and customers safe. HelloFresh has donated over 2.5 million meals to charity in 2019, and this year is stepping up their food donations amid the coronavirus crisis. And because you're a Literary Disco listener, we have a special offer for you. Go to HelloFresh.com, 80LiteraryDisco, and use code 80LiteraryDisco to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh for more details. So that offer again is HelloFresh.com, 80 Literary Disco, and use 80 Literary Disco on checkout. Back to the show. So speaking of micro-focus, I think that's a good yeah, transition. Yeah, I was going to say, it's hey, actually kind good, of the mindset of, <laughs> of this book, Weather. So um, like Department of Speculation, which we did an episode on, this book is um, is very different. It's, it's a very strangely written book, uh, and it's hard to summarize and hard to get across how uh, unusual it is. Uh, the, the the plot is pretty minimal. It's mostly about a, a, a woman named Lizzie who's a librarian um, who gets a job working for a woman who is like one of the major climate change uh, uh, lecturers, I guess. I think she's or... in a popular psychologist. In a popular podcast. Yeah, and a popular podcast host. Podcast host, right. Which immediately gave me empathy for her as a popular podcast Mm -hmm. host. Um, So she gets this job as an assistant, sort of fielding people's uh, letters to this um, podcaster about the end of the world. Uh, So there's a real apocalypse hanging over this book. And then, um, and then she, otherwise she's got a five-year-old son and a husband. She has a flirtation with another guy that she meets while her husband's away. And then uh, her, her brother is dealing is a drug addict, and that's basically that's it. <laughs> but there's there's a lot going on in this book. What'd you guys? Uh, what'd you think? Uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah. So when I reviewed it, I gave it four stars in USA Today. Um, 
and the important thing to note is that it is it is ardently political. It is happening yeah. in the run up and then after the 2016 election. So Department of Speculation came out in 2014. It seems like directly after Department of Speculation, Ophel began to write this book or write around that. I mean, she could have been writing any time, I suppose, um, but after the election. Um, but she utilizes the same style that she uses in Department of Speculation. And the best way, I think, to describe it is that she writes in bullets. You know, it, it's maybe 125 word sections over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It, it's a form that was first mostly popularized by Mary Robeson in her book, Why Did I Ever?, um, and you see people parroting it periodically, which is a hard sentence to say. Um, but Othel really has made it her signature style. She's expanded upon it. Um, you know, it, you can you can pick up the thread of uh, the past, present, and future in every single section. It, they're each like little stories, every single one yeah. of them. Um, but more than in Department of Speculation, at least in my view, I thought that Weather actually has a, a more cohesive plot-based narrative. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I appreciated when I was reading it. Um, but I, I just love it. I think Ophel's a really unusual thinker because the book is also extraordinarily funny while being extraordinarily sad and so much of its time that it risks being a scrapbook of this period. And so I'm wondering what it's going to look like in five years. I didn't feel like Department of Speculation had that concern. I feel like weather might. I really want <laughs> my first reaction was like, I want to find Jenny Ophel. I don't know her and make sure she's OK uh, right now because <laughs> she, she doesn't live far from you. She lives in upstate New York. You could probably find her. Uh because this is the themes of this book are eerily, eerily the mood that a lot of people yeah. I know are in right now. Yeah. So if she felt yeah. this bad before Trump was even elected, how does she feel <laughs> during a pandemic? Like specifically a pandemic. I mean, there's so much doom, doomsday stuff in here. Um, and I feel like this is the mood it's like she she's in the mood that everyone's in um and there's mm -hmm. there's a lot more to say about this style and i i'm i'm eager to hear what Ryder has to say but oh man it kind of hit the spot if you're feeling vaguely depressed um and <laughs> vaguely and, vaguely <laughs> okay all right if you're feeling like, vaguely depressed all right well all right let me let me revise if you feel like the malaise of depression with spikes of panic and yet you can only think in tiny short unfocused bursts this is the yes. book for yes, you. Yes, that seems right. <laughs> and you're losing the ability to like keep track of internal versus external states of reality. Right. Yes. Another this, great point. <laughs> I yeah, I I'm I would go so far as to say that this is the like COVID experience book. Yeah, I want <laughs> I think this is that this novel because it came out right at the right time and I mean I have never experienced like reading a book, like reading a a, a prose style or, or an approach to literature that so accurately reflects my mind state while I'm reading mm -hmm. it. Like it is, so I've like, since I, I finished this a couple of weeks ago, I've recommended it to everybody. Yeah, it's right a great now. book. Because I think it's the book to be listened to be reading or to listening to or whatever, whatever form you can like, and it's short, like it's, it'll take you an afternoon yeah. if you read it. Like it's not, but um, yeah, to me, it, it, it's, it's more, it's more akin to like reading poetry than, yeah. than a novel. Um, it, it, Prose poetry, between, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's somewhere in between for, like but the because feeling there's a the, hypnotic the sort of, hypnotic yeah. sense that the language sort of yes. lulls you into a feeling which yeah. is yes. really on a craft level pretty pretty fucking and, and, amazing and from paragraph to paragraph you have to adjust what it is you're reading you know you're right. not reading sometimes you're reading a joke sometimes right. you're reading an excerpt from an essay sometimes you're reading her you know music and it feels like uh, in some ways, if it's it's like a it's like a literary uh, Twitter feed that you're scrolling. Through. <laughs> you know, it's like you're jumping around, and and the organizing intelligence of the book is is really smart and really like it's it's it, it builds on itself really well. I, and it's not really per, like I guess there's there is plot, but it's not that's not what's driving you forward. What's driving you forward is this like mood and mm-hmm. mood. these little observations and these like shocking moments of insight um i think it's great man i think it's a lot better than department of speculation yeah you know what's um, you know what's strange this book came out february 11th 2020 in my mind that was like five 10 years, years ago, ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this so this book came out two weeks before shutdown basically for most yeah. of for new york was already shut down no right no new york shut down like no february 25th or something no yeah. way later Way later. Yeah. It's really like March 12th, yeah. 13th-ish is when mm. like all the cities shut down. When the schools shut down, it's right. like March 12th or 13th, I think. So that's really quarantine. But, so start. the book came out a month before the world collapsed. Yeah. And then completely accurately captured the mindset that we right. were all yes. in. I would there's, like... There's I, this, go ahead, Julia. Uh, I would just... Say something reasonable. I was going to say, this is not reasonable. <laughs> Uh, I would like a booster pack on this book with three extra chapters about now. That is my desire. It's not, that is not a, like, that is not something she should do, but that is what my heart wants. I just, I want to be soothed um, by that feeling. Well, you know, what's, what, 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 what I was thinking about what you were saying, like, when you were asking if she's okay. Um, <laughs> like, in a weird way, this is, this is, that, that, that's what makes her a, a great artist is that she was clearly ahead of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like she clearly was like able to articulate things that were just under the surface that are now even more apparent, you know, and I'm hoping that she's writing the next great novel that is, you know, maybe more optimistic and less riddled with anxiety. I um, don't think so. Because maybe, maybe that's our next moment. Maybe we have a joyous <laughs> 2021 ahead of us where, uh, you know, harmony and peace and law and order. <laughs> law and order. Jesus. Brought to us you by know, the Great Republic of TikTok teens. Right. You know, the so there's a, a part in this book, it's, Pretty early on, page 55. So I I marked this book up, like, every single page I was bending a page down, which yeah. then makes it absurd. Yeah. I should just have unbent all the pages, just look at any one. But there's this part on page 55. She's recounting um, a guest who's on the podcast that she works for. And she says, on the show, there's an expert giving advice about how to survive disasters, natural and man-made. He says it's a myth that people panic in emergencies. 80% just freeze. The brain refuses to take in what is happening. This is called the incredulity response. Those who live move, he says. And I was like, that's right. That's right. I'm not going to freeze in this. I'm I'm going going to live. (laughs) So it's filled with these little anecdotes. But then there's also like, how will I know who will be a good German? You're like, oh, shit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, wow. I mean, there's so many parts to to pick out. Where's the one I just had? Yeah, I love this one. Uh, the sky is dull, a soft feathery gray streaked here and there with clouds. Well, yes, I would, sir. I would like to hear the good news. I will read this pamphlet forthwith. <laughs> She's just <laughs> so depressed she'll take any good news, any Christian suggestions uh, on how to right. live life. And so in addition to all the stuff that Ryder mentioned, the book is also generally obsessed with climate change. Yeah. So that's a that's a big threat. That's a disaster hanging over. Right. But in fact, what she's talking about as it relates to everything is that the climate is changing everywhere. It's not just the air. It's the people and their reaction to the air. Right. Uh, it's every single climate. And what I think that she does so well is that she puts her main character, Lizzie, into different climates and sees how she will react. So she does this unique thing where she's just essentially shoving her into different ecosystems over and over and over again. And you are forced to acclimate in that ecosystem where Lizzie is. And in fact, she doesn't. <laughs> yeah. She actually doesn't do much, right? She's not right. an active protagonist at all. No. Like the whole thing is about how is her anxiety going to cope with this new situation? Right. Because she, you know, she... She flirts with cheating on her husband. She, you know, she, even her job, she doesn't end up doing much. She doesn't really make this. It's mostly just about her having to cope with other people's decisions or other people's inaction or action. It's really fascinating. And it's, it's fascinating that it's so like propulsive. Like, mm -hmm. why do you want to keep reading this book? It's like, it, there's something meditative about the, the process that she's going through that makes you feel better about, I think, the way we're all trying to cope right now. Yeah, and she does this other thing, too, where subtly she makes, like, the places that she was comfortable feel uncomfortable, and the places yes. that she was uncomfortable feel comfortable. Right. So, and again, it's the climate change that she's talking about. It's the it's the change in the weather, basically. Um, and it's, it's, it's a neat thing to see um, how she is manipulating the reader. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm, I'm looking just uh, from jealousy to see how she does this, right? <laughs> but, like, you can track it. Like, all these places that Lizzie felt most comfortable and become the most dangerous, like her own apartment, her own home. Yeah. Um, that becomes the place that is most fraught. Whereas the outside world, you know, actually seems a little safer uh, as she's pondering cheating on her husband and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really deft in that way. I mean, it's deft in all the ways. But it's also super funny. And, and yeah. maybe it's super funny because... Um, you know, it's our sense of humor. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's like ironic. Oh, we're all going to well, die sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that gets to what is probably the big Jenny Ophel question, which I know we discussed last time, and it must be discussed, which is the yep. very Brooklyn-y, oh, yeah. hipster-y vibe to this thing. I mean... This is a book that I would recommend, but I know that I would always caution that in some way. Like, this is a narrator who thinks she's an everyman, but is absolutely not. <laughs> you know, these are right. these right. are privileged concerns. These are yes. the most absolutely. possible privileged concerns. We've got sleeping pills. We've got, you know, gentrifications in here. You know, it's all... Yeah. there and it feels like an enclosed world which of course it is but it's 
I think that is probably off-putting to a number of readers. Um, although I do well, think I that definitely... really breaks down as we get through the Trump election and she's more and more in the real world, as you say, Todd, and a little less in her own mind. Yeah, that's what that 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 was my biggest problem with Department of Speculation. I I remember loving the the style, you know, loving the actual writing, but then just being like, really, this is a, this all this effort and energy to talk about cheating on your husband and you know living in Brooklyn, whatever. This one, I felt she really she it it, it ends up being more relevant. I agree, it is it is a pretty narrow, you know, privileged position that she's writing from, but. Uh, I related, you know, like I really got into the mindset right now, of, sure. you know, and I think, yeah, I mean, and I, yes, and that is, I am a privileged person. Like I am not starving for food right now or worried about my job, you know, tomorrow. Like, so I am filled with a lot of these sort of bigger anxieties about like, which she addresses head on, should we be having children right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, um, and that really does give me a lot of, lot of anxiety. The fact that I have a child in the, this era of climate change. And then of course now with all the polit- political upheaval and, and worldwide pandemics and whatnot, it's even more acute in the sense of responsibility. And like, so as opposed to department of speculation, you know, and I got, I got a little worried when the, she introduced the potential of cheating on her husband. I was like, really, are we going to get derailed into this again? Like, is this going to be the Jenny Ophel oeuvre of just, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a bored and dissatisfied and depressed and anxious in my life. So I'm going to cheat on somebody I love. Uh, and it didn't go there. It was more interesting than that. And, um, and was, I don't know. I, I, I feel like she got out of that. She avoided that problem in a way that she did not in Department of Speculation. I feel like this book is about something. It, it's profoundly about something. And yes, yes, it's maybe a narrow target. But I think there are a lot of comfortable Americans out there, thinking comfortable Americans who enjoy reading, for whom this book will hit right yeah, home. And I, and yeah, and I... Go ahead, Todd. Oh, okay, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, when I say... A privileged position. I don't just mean wealth. Like and and okay, so this yeah. is partly because I'm from this area. So there's specific things that pop out to me that move into the cliche realm um of specifically modern Brooklyn that I'm just like, I don't need this. <laughs> so like there's something that's basically a joke that's like my husband's researching other neighborhoods as long as he doesn't pick New Jersey. And then there's a whole section (laughs) about a birth, like there's this very hippie-ish character in the book um, and she wants this like birth plan that's so like lavender face masks. And then of course she like gets her comeuppance and it's really hard. And I'm like, these are, these are cliches now. Um, these are, mm. it's it's too specific. I don't know, like it's their stories or sentences or references that are either so location specific that they knock people out of it or they're kind of like looking down on the stereotype, but she can't look down on it because she's clearly in it. So there's that weird uh, friction yeah. there that uh, it would occasionally like pop me out of this this good mood and these good things going on. 
And I should note, there was a little bit of a backlash when this book came out because of the sort of fawning response. Hmm. Um, you know, like the New York Times did not one, not two, but like more like six <laughs> reviews of the book <laughs> and a feature story. And she's on the cover of the magazine and, and all kinds of stuff. So there, you know, there's there's the natural backlash that comes along with, with that sort of thing and, and being hailed and sort of universally praised. Um and a lot of it also had to do with specifically what you're saying, Julia, is, you know, the the specific kind of New York book that this is. Centrism. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I imagine that in the middle of the country, or if you are not, um, you know, a, a wealthy white person living in New York, this book does not resonate as well. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can only imagine. Um and so that sort of becomes a question of like, okay, well, how do we how do we make our art? Um, you know, what's what's her intention? What's she trying to discern? And so she's trying to discern what one person's life is in one part of the world, and not speak for every single person. Well, then, yeah, of course, the book works extraordinarily well. Um, I don't think she's trying to make a universal statement. You know, I don't think right. that's her intention. I think she is trying to hang a lantern over a specific kind of person in a specific kind of place. Um, and that's what a lot of art does, you know? Um, and so I don't I don't begrudge her for that. Um, and I found the book, like I said, extraordinarily enjoyable and extraordinarily well written. But we're in a time in our lives, too, where, you know, art stands in for activism, basically. And so when you read a book like this that is, in fact, a response to Donald Trump's campaign for the presidency in 2016 and then the aftermath, it is hard not to examine this and ask for something um, whiter. And that's with a D, not a T. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think those those concerns are are particularly valid. It's also important that like this book came out, I think, like the same week or the week after American Dirt came out. And so, you know, these th there's this one book that really um, inexplicably became a national bestseller for three fucking months, American Dirt, even though it was derided as racist and um, appropriating and all this other shit, uh, which was accurate. Um, and yet it still sold millions of copies. You know, there's something there's something happening in publishing, surely. Um and I don't know, I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side of all of this. Yeah, that's what I wonder how much I'm like when you say you don't begrudge her for not having a sort of wider like I I agree like I you know I think I think there's an there, but I wonder I guess I guess how much do you begrudge the 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 publishing industry for its New York centric yeah a lot <laughs> you know because because right, exactly. like the praise that's that's heaped on somebody like Ben Lerner you know who we've talked about on the show. Um, is like really kind of out of like he's a great writer like I really enjoyed 1004 it's the one book I've read and I've heard Topeka School is great but it also seems like again like this very it's a very specific type of book for a very specific type of audience that again is getting all the awards and sucking up all the air um, and you know it's for for someone who like all my life has really enjoyed literature from the west and you know and and I've always seen it as sort of it's it get marginalized as like 
regionalism mm-hmm. and right. you know i remember in 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 in, uh, in college asking a professor like why isn't steinbeck as well respected as faulkner and he did all these like weird contortions to answer my question and it's like but no like you know i think i think steinbeck's pretty good <laughs> i think yeah. he you know deserves a lot of attention and uh, you know, and maybe he doesn't, maybe he isn't, and that's up for debate, I guess. But I, I have noticed as I've gotten older, it's still we're still so locked into the East Coast when it comes to literature. Yeah. We're not when it comes yeah. to movies, obviously, and other art forms. But for whatever reason, we still are like the you know the whole publishing industry is based in New York, and all the best like best most award winning writers are white New Yorkers talking about being white New Yorkers. And you know like, what? That's it. Here, I think. Writer, something you said just unlocks something that makes it feel more comfortable for me. Like, if this is, if we just look at this as a regional book, if we turn that mm-hmm. term this way, then yes. hell yeah. Like, this is, if you right. want to be a right. fly in the wall and look at Brooklynites in a right. zoo, this is your book. Yes. Um, yeah. Totally. And I just hope that it doesn't confirm stereotypes Instead of right. deliver rich, rich characters. I mean, like, there's characters in here who are failed classics academics. Right. I mean, that's that's it, man. Right. <laughs> and and Lizzie is a Lizzie is like a what do they call her a street librarian because she doesn't have a librarian's degree. She has an English degree. Um, but you know, to to go back to what you're saying about the regionalism aspect of it. I mean, this is sort of like a thing. I think we talked about this a bit when I got. There was this writers' festival here in in the desert where I live, the Ranch Mars Writers' Festival, and in the seven years of their existence, they'd had nineteen writers of color the entire time. Oh 19. yeah, you did talk about this. Yeah, that's crazy. And I was like, it's absurd. Number one, and it's intentional. Number two, but number three, this region is a multicultural region, and to not address that, I think, is um, a crime, basically. Um, and which is something that I said to them uh, in print and then in person. Um, well, at this point, it's just being willfully blind. You know? Right. It's like it's it's <clears throat> it takes effort to only only be picking out white male writers in the world. Right. right like that takes right. an effort. Well, no. But, although I will say when I met with them, they were like, well, half of our authors are women. And I was like, congratulations. You are reflecting the human race. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but to go to your point about the regionalism, not mm. even New York is this white. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's for sure, for sure. <laughs> you know, um, just maybe that corner of Brooklyn is. But, I mean, like, this is the larger conversation that we're having right now in right. the world. Yeah. Um, and and here is a book that is dealing with the anxieties of the, the end of Western civilization. Um, and this conversation is a, is a systemic issue mm-hmm. that it now becomes a question of, okay, how does art address these things? How are we supposed to address these things? Well, you can do it in your personal life. You can do it in the, in the work that you write. Um, but it's an interesting thing to look at this book that came out in February, right before the world changed and, and wonder what would it look like if she was writing it today? Yeah. Um, you know, it, I think it's, and, and that's why I said at the top of the show that I wonder whether or not this book holds up as well in five years as Department of Speculation does, in my mind at least. Um, Because it is so much about these 2016 concerns. Um, And it's amazing how much the world has changed in just three years. Whereas, Um, to connect with the other book, the trauma of motherhood is 
a permanent human condition. I mean, even right. even the fra- the pieces of that theme that leak into this book, like the fears that her brother has about killing his child, and oh, there's a mm-hmm. a line that I underlined because it was so good. Hold, hold, where is it? Um, she goes into a hospital. Yeah, she goes into a hospital to um, visit a baby, and um, the couple who has just had the baby is, like, shocked by the experience, and she said, uh, her brother says, you wouldn't believe it, Lizzie, he says, and she says, but I would. I had a baby in this shitty hospital, too. There's that ding, ding, ding as you go down the hallways, all those machines conducting their business. Even the buzzing of these awful lights is stored somewhere deep in my body. As soon as I walked through the door, it rose to the surface. Like, that's wow. so amazing and so so tangible, so real. I just, yeah. She's she's good at that kind of She's an amazing dread. writer. I mean, that's the thing. Is, and I feel like we said this about Department of Speculation. It's like, she's such a good writer that it's it almost doesn't matter what she writes about. It's going to be interesting right. and have, you know, really great thinking and, and, uh, and analysis behind it and feel wonderful to just experience yeah i mean she's just she's just hands down a fantastic writer you know what she also does is uh she writes things and i don't know if they're true or not and then i repeat them like Uh which is something like (laughs) amy (laughs) hempel yeah like it's something amy hempel really did in uh her short story in the cemetery where al jolson's buried so for instance this is on page 65 uh when electricity was first introduced to homes there were letters to the newspapers about how it would undermine family togetherness Now there would be no need to gather around a shared hearth, people fretted. In 1903, a famous psychologist worried that young people would lose their connection to dusk and its contemplative moments. And I was like, huh, that's fascinating. Then I thought, is that true? true?" I think that is true (laughs) because... Are there famous psychologists? (laughs) I actually did a a whole thing uh, in college on... um, television and like i spent a lot of time researching the history of television and it was Mm -hmm. the same when television was introduced there's all these articles that just there was a huge explosion of like this is the death of the american family and it was the exact same argument Mm -hmm. you know we're we're, what are we all going to sit around the fire we're we're now going to sit around the television it's like yeah yeah (laughs) i have a great tv it's huge (laughs) takes up an entire wall (laughs) yeah but no it was was all about the death of the american child and the american family which which maybe was kind of true uh (laughs) so wrong not so wrong. <laughs> it just it would it would take reality TV to really oh my god to really screw the country over and and you know actually kill a lot of I've us. been weirdly enough I've been reading interviews lately with people about what they've been doing during the pandemic and the number of people who've been watching more reality TV uh, is disturbing striking wow like, I'm really like, it's not even reality. And oftentimes it's a fake reality of people being trapped in a place. Like you're watching Big Brother or Survivor or something. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to watch something else about people who can't leave. It's just comfort TV. You know, yeah. I think everybody's just going back to simpler times. <laughs> I watched so much Antiques Roadshow. I can't begin to tell you guys. Wow. <laughs> there you go. So much. Last night I was watching Antiques Roadshow about three o'clock in the morning and a guy had a watch. It was worth $700,000. Wow. I can manage a half an hour of television a day. That's like literally all my brain can take. So I've been watching Alone, which is people surviving in the woods by themselves. <laughs> Reality TV. There you go. 
Oh my god, it's true. We we did watch for a couple nights. Uh, I shouldn't be alive, and that was just giving me the surus, which is a, a a Hebrew word that means a combination of fear and anxiety. <laughs> uh. I think you shouldn't be alive. You're right. You should be fucking dead. I'm done. And with then TV. you read this book, and it just soothes you completely. I'm not alone in my in my outsized anxiety and fear for the world. No, you are certainly mm. not. Then nobody is. We're all. We're all there. Don't be afraid of the world, Julia. I keep hearing that on Facebook. Don't don't live in fear. That mask isn't going to save you. What are you talking about? <sighs> hey. I mean, one of the things that I find the most interesting about this cultural period, we'll call it, that we're in, is that is the phenomenon that people who are already very anxious or already very paranoid, like Jenny Ophill's character, or my <laughs> or spouse. Uh, <laughs> um, they are actually, <laughs> they are doing great. Like, they're like, this confirms every everything I want to do. Like, I want to close my doors. I want to stock up. I want to be a, like a mini prepper, a luxury prepper. Whatever glamping is for preppers. <laughs> Look, luxury um, yeah. You know exactly yeah. what I mean. Laughing You're doing prep. it, man. I know exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm not. I'm not mocking you. Know how you. many dry beans we have? Dry beans and rice. We have like, like the second quarantine happened, we like bulked up on all that shit. So like, it was crazy. Let me tell yeah. you guys something. I mean, I can't tell you how many packages of marshmallows we have in the house. I get you. The luxury warning so thing. So tell. Uh, here is something. Uh, this is the only sentence I have to say. Today is June twenty first. Okay, we've been in lockdown since March twelfth. At no point in my house have we bought Purell any cleaning products or toilet paper because we just had that much. We are we oh we didn't have to do one thing. We just went home. That is That's amazing. That's and I live in an apartment, you guys, so things are like in weird little places uh all over the place. Um That's incredible. But we were stocked we had plenty of toilet paper, but we we need some Perel. <laughs> well, I yes, I also totally got drunk and bought a bidet on like March tenth, which was a prescient <laughs> oh, Jesus move. <laughs> wow how's that been i What's mean the bidet life like oh my god guys every you can't get them now we've been doing it wrong you've been doing it wrong yeah my daughter calls uh, it my... she, she i haven't explained it to her but she hears the sound going through the pipes when the the water is on and one day she's just like butt shower and <laughs> we're like yeah butt shower <laughs> Wow. But anyway, my point, my point, I've gotten off track. Just butt, I don't know if I, you can I, just butt please, anyway out of the we bidet. Just need to write, we just need to write that anecdote in a Jenny Awful style. <laughs> yes. yes. Like, how does, I want a paragraph of just that in the style of Jenny Awful. Well, honestly, I, I got to tell you guys, like, this is, it's weird for me to read this because this is close to my essay writing style. Except she's yeah, fifty times better than me. But this is kind of how I think, uh, at least in right, a writing yeah. way. Um, so it's very enjoyable. Yeah, but my ultimate point, yeah. ultimate point before was like people who are anxious are now okay, and people who are happy and optimistic, such as myself, it's a lot harder. It's a bigger adjustment to to yeah. fear everything. So yeah, yeah, Wendy slid into this without a without issue. No change in her life at all. Exactly. Except for her hair. <laughs> 
Huh. Can we get back to that bidet life, though? <laughs> okay. I mean, what do you need to is know? It bidet life. Is How many bathrooms do you have in your house? Oh, my God. Do we, have- we have a couple, but I only bought one. I went to a... So do you, only, do you exclusively now use that bathroom? I mean, yeah. That's... I mean, I have... <laughs> Doesn't everyone have specific purposes for each bathroom? All bathrooms are not used equally across a house, right? So this bathroom is like my bathroom. <laughs> I, I'm, I have a six-person household, so it's a it's it, we are constantly avoiding one bathroom because someone's taking a shower. My son poops four or five times a day and likes to talk to you while he's pooping. Well, that's awkward. So our bathrooms are just like it's yeah, it's a literal shit show, guys. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Living that bidet life though sounds sounds yeah. nice. You'd love it. Uh, I, I I'm I'm asking these questions not merely for anthropological purposes. <laughs> I assure you. Do you imagine when you're free again and people are allowed to come over to your house, you're gonna have to tell them, hey, by the way, There's bathroom number two over there has got the butt shower. So this is exactly how I ended up with this. I went to a friend's and bought a bottle of wine, and she's like, you know. We got a bidet. Check it out. And lo and behold, <laughs> one week later, you were like, I had one, one in my home. Later. A bidet. Yeah. Doesn't it require piping? Like, don't you have to install it with a plumber? Or You do have to install it, but not with a plumber. You just connect okay. it. It's to the Guys, this is really, this episode is gone. I should not have brought this up. I should not no, have brought this yeah, up. Yeah, we've already talked about me pooping in a bucket. Now we're talking about it. <laughs> Your bidet. This is. I am looking forward to the spectators' breakdown of Julia's butt showers. The truth is, we are all a little bit starved for peer connection, and this is replacing drinks I would have had in a bar. This oh, five-minute interrogation. Ryder, take us out, my friend. Take <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.